Hi, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm going to do something a little different from now on with these podcasts. Um, I've been enjoying them so much, and I've got so many good books, and there are so many good chapters that I would like to go to two podcasts a week. So I'm going to release one on Wednesday and one on Saturday like I've been doing because there, there are just so many good things out there to talk about. So let's start that. I'm going to release this one uh, this Wednesday. And this is a book by Charles Colson, Chuck Colson, called The Faith. And uh, subtitle, What Christians Believe, Why They Believe It, and Why It Matters. It's a powerful book, a really good book. I already did a podcast on it some time ago. This time I want to look at chapter 4, and it's called Truth. And I think about what a world we live in now. Uh, there's no such thing as truth. There's your truth and my truth, and everybody's got a a little bit of truth, and it's all pretty subjective. So let's take a look at what Colson has to say. He said, you know, he starts off in the chapter here that we believe there is a God and that he has spoken, right? These are the two key things to Christianity, that uh, God exists and he's spoken. And it says that enables the Christian to affirm that there is truth. There is truth. There's an ultimate reality out there not based on what one person thinks or another person thinks. But we believe that not only is there truth, but people can know the truth, the way things really are. Uh, that's the correspondence theory, isn't it, of uh, truth. Uh, if, if it really exists out in the world and you say it exists, then that's truth. And he says there are three ways. Of course, the Christian thinks that you can get truth out of the Bible. Yeah, definitely. But he said there are three other ways that you can gain truth. One is the book of nature. And uh, I think there's, there's no doubt about that. I, I love astronomy, and you think about the stars up there, and there's a lot of truth. In fact, a lot of people are being drawn to the Judeo-Christian worldview because of astronomy. So truth can be in the book of nature. He says also you can get truth through reason. You can think about it. After all, we're made in God's image, and we have free will, and we have logical thinking ability. So Christianity, and I thought this is a good point, he said Christianity is not a hidden body of teachings disconnected from everyday reality. Okay, so he says, and it's also not a bunch of subjective notions that you can't disprove. Um, I think about Mormonism, not to pick on the Mormons, but what did they finally come down to? They come down to the burning in the bosom. That's totally subjective. That's their ultimate faith position. All right, so you can gain truth through the book of nature. You can gain truth through reason. He said, actually, through reason, he said, that's how you can test other religions and other worldviews and compare them to Christianity. And I've done that. I've spoken on worldviews and exactly that. I've taken two examples of worldviews, Christianity and secularism or atheism, whatever you want to call it, materialism, and just compared them on various things that worldviews have to deal with, like where do we come from and what's right and wrong, and uh, what? how do we get into a mess, and how do we get out of it. And it, Christianity does so well, just using reason. You don't have to go to the Bible, just using reason. And he says, we can observe which worldview conforms to the way the world really is, to see what's true. Uh, I can think of one quick example before we go on with uh, Colson's book. You take the, the, the idea of the beginning of the universe. Hinduism says, the universe is eternal, endless cycles and more cycles. But Christianity, the Judeo-Christian worldview, says there was a start. And guess what? Science is saying, yes, 
there was a start to the universe. So you can take one worldview and match it up against the other through reason, uh, through science, through nature. He said also, we can get truth through conscience. He says, God reveals truth through our conscience. We can tell good from evil because we have a moral sense that's inside of us. And he uses Romans 2 as an example. Paul says, the law was written on hearts of people. So we, we know the Bible says humans are made this way, that from the very beginning of time, there's a moral law that all people and all cultures can know. So he uses as an example something that's disconnected from Christianity. It's the Code of Hammurabi. He said it has moral teachings written before the Mosaic Law. Confucius preached a high morality. Even the ancient Greeks, he uses uh, Penandros as an example. He said, you need a good conscience, that that gives you true freedom. He says, almost every religion in history has embraced some form of the Ten Commandments. And C.S. Lewis talked about this, an idea of a universal moral law. We, we always talk about how different religions and different cultures are, diff- are so different from each other. There can't be truth. He says, no, that's not the case. And that's what C.S. Lewis argued, that actually down deep, these different religions, these different cultures all hold very, very similar views. But he said, you know, the understanding of the moral law and all this has been compromised today by relativism. And he said, uh, he, he sees that when he talks to even Christian young people. He said, do you think they're moral absolutes? And they go, hmm, hmm, and they don't really want to answer. He, Colson says, well, then I ask him, would it be okay to steal, have somebody steal your wallet or kill somebody because he's a Jew or push an old lady into traffic? And they go, oh, no. And he said, they instinctively know that no matter what, those things would never be right. He said, children, young kids know right from wrong. Uh, he said, the minute somebody snatches a toy from them, then they want their toy back. You can't take that. That's not fair. He said, there's even now scientific evidence that this law is written on the heart, like Paul talked about. Well, where do we find that out? He said, there's one Harvard scholar who's discovered that the brain contains, this is a quote from this scholar, a circuit specialized for recognizing certain problems as morally relevant. He says the brain has a universal moral grammar, a toolkit for building specific moral systems. He said even though this professor is an agnostic, he really believes morality is grounded in our biology. It's written in our hearts. Back to Romans 2 again. He said, you know, today, this idea of what's true, is there truth? He said, that's the great fault line in Western culture today. He said, the dominant point of view is against that, that there is no truth. He says, why do we see that? Why do we have that hostility to the idea of truth? Because he said, rebellious human nature always opposes truth's claims. Why? Well, if something is really true, it's true for all of us, and we don't want a higher authority. We don't want to bend our knee. We want to create our own truth. That, that's personal autonomy. That is so big in our cultural t- culture today. You think about the transgender issue and other things. It's all about how I feel rather than what's true, what corresponds to reality. Um, he said, he's talking about Jesus in front of, of Pilate. And Pilate says, what's truth? Because Jesus says, everybody who's on the side of truth listens to me. So we get that scoffing comment by Pilate, huh, what's truth? He said, that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? 
Many of today's intellectuals believe that, that religion is just an expression of culture. It's just the way you get political allegiance. And here comes Jesus. It says there is real truth. Well, what Jesus is teaching is that reality is not what we're subjectively making of it or what our culture can believe. There is objective truth, and we're able to apprehend it. We're not a dream, he says, in the mind of God. We're not an illusion like Eastern religions say. Reality isn't like a programming put into our minds like the matrix. And he said it's all over the place, this idea of truth and how it's being dismissed. And he uses as an example Richard Dawkins. He was asked one time, I guess, with uh, in an interview with Time Magazine, where, whether good and evil have no meaning. And here's what Dawkins said. Even the question you're asking me has no meaning to me. Good and evil, I don't believe there's hanging out there anywhere, something called good and something called evil. I think that there are good things that happen and bad things that happen. And Chuck Colson says, really? The attacks of 9-11 aren't intrinsically evil? And bringing relief to people who suffered from tsunamis, that's not intrinsically good? He said, I, by he I mean um, Colson, he said, you know, Dawkins is smart. He knows what he's saying. He can't admit that there's more than just personal value judgments. Why? Because if there's a moral law that applies to everybody, there's got to be a moral lawgiver that we would all be subject to. No thanks, he says. And unfortunately, he uses some statistics here to show you, Colson does, 63% of Americans deny knowing any the ability to know moral truth. He says 53% of evangelicals believe that. Whoa, that's just so sad, isn't it? Oh, man. He says, even in so-called conservative churches, we're being intimidated by political correctness and that all religions are alike and there's no such thing as truth. He says, who's going to defend truth? He says, whenever we can't defend truth, faith uh, withers. He says, if we don't take truth seriously, we're not going to take God seriously. Now, he said, uh, we're seeing Orthodox believers, even young evangelicals, coming up with things like postmodern Christianity or progressive Christianity. Uh, Colson didn't talk about that because I don't think that term was around in his time period, but um, Elisa Childers dealt with it in a different gospel, this whole idea of um, truth not being as important anymore. Uh, evangelicals are now falling, he says, into a trap of cultural Christianity rather than truth. And he said, because postmoderns say you can't know the truth, then young adults are resisting going out to others and presenting the Christian faith because it's got ethical implications for all of us, not just, hey, I'm a Christian, so I'm living this way. We, we're saying Christianity is true for all of us. And so he said, now what are we getting? People in the church are resorting to kind of indirect witness. Uh, worship services are, are having storytelling and visual presentations and contemporary music and, and an open invitation to join the conversation. He said, well, that's good. But he said, just because you're trying to figure out how an audience thinks doesn't mean that you have to convert to the way the audience thinks, especially when you leave truth behind. Now, he said he's really concerned about the emergent church, which uh, is, has kind of lost some of its popularity, I think, but it's been replaced by progressive Christianity. And he said he thinks that the emergent community, I'm sure he would have seen that today with a progressive church, that have become captives of postmodernist skepticism. That's really sad. 
Some, in fact, he said he was hearing, many were saying the church should give up on doctrinal teaching, even on the Bible, for the sake of presenting Christianity as a big picture story in which all of our stories can find their meaning. Oh, he's really horrified by that. He said this conception of church life and the failure to teach doctrine, what does that do? That's institutionalizing agnosticism, he says. And I'm afraid he's right, and I think it's gotten worse in the last few years. He says when the life of the church is just a, a conversation, what do we have? We have church leaders that are basically cult leaders. They just attune the conversation to their own agendas. But if when you're talking in church and you're dealing with the faith being based on truth, anyone can call a leader to account. Otherwise, it's just up to the individual leader. Well, I believe this, I think that. But if you're saying, no, no, let's, let's look at the, the Bible. Right? That's truth. You can call leaders to account because they are or they're not following the Bible. He says, what about the idea that Christian doctrine is kind of dry and dusty? He said, well, he said, it's for those who don't believe it with a lively faith that takes action. He said, if evangelicalism has become more of a cultural Christianity than a Bible-based Christianity, he said, if you replace truth with therapy and you end up with a feel-good belief, he said, no wonder it's lost the drama, the greatest event in human history. He said, we have to revitalize. We can't discard doctrine. We have to revitalize it. And he said he's hearing from some postmodern Christians, we want deeds, not creeds. But he said, wait a minute. He said, we have gone. Remember, he's involved in prison fellowship. He started that. He said, we've gone into some terrible prisons, he said, and, and helping prisoners. And he said, those are worthwhile deeds. But he said, if the, de if the creeds that I believe in are false, then all my efforts are misplaced. I, I can't be sure, he said, that my deeds are really good, but it's the creed that makes him carry out the deed. Okay, do you hear that? Because I think that's really important. It's what we believe to be the truth. That makes us go out and do things. And so it's the, it's the belief first, and then it follows it up with action. I just think that's huge. I think it's so important to hear that. Um, he says, once you take Jesus and make him kind of your private experience, he said he degenerates into kind of a vague, fuzzy, mystical figure who always approves of what we want. He said, if you present Jesus without doctrine, that's a disembodied savior. It's just a moral teacher. He has no more authority than Confucius. So he said, truth is the most important single issue for the church today. And here we are years after he wrote this book. Let's see, what's the date on this book? Uh, written in 2008. So we're 14 years away. But he's right on. Truth is a huge issue for the church. Then he has a section here, why truth matters. Well, I'm going to go kind of quickly over those parts here. But he says, truth matters because the heart of what we believe is at stake. I mean, if, if it's not true, why would we waste our time on it? He says, truth matters because without truth, the gospel gets perverted. Exactly right. It, it changes, doesn't it? He says, truth matters because if you reject truth, you get biblical illiteracy. Wow, here's a statistic. He says, George Barna discovered that most church-going adults reject the accuracy of the Bible, the existence of Satan, and the sinlessness of Jesus. We've got biblical illiteracy because people are re rejecting the idea of truth. Truth matters because if you reject it, you get ethical confusion. Oh, exactly. There's tons of confusion out there. 
He said, actually, if you reject truth, it undermines cultural development. Why is that? Well, he says, reason without revelation lacks authority. That leads to chaos and tyranny. And he gives examples in the 20th century. He says, in the West, if we don't have a basis for morality, then you can't reach a moral consensus. And we end up in an ongoingly strident culture war. Well, it hasn't gotten better since Colson wrote those words. He says, if people aren't guided by conscience and self-restraint, the government comes in to stave off chaos. And so he says, we're getting all these laws. We're getting more and more uh, supervision by authorities. And so we got problems there. He said, also, if you reject truth, it leads to false gods. He said, if you reject the God of the Bible, it's not that people say, okay, I'll just live without God. People choose a new God. And it's scary to see what's going on out there going on out there these days with the new God. And he said it's tolerance. Of course, it's a different idea of tolerance. Uh, so he talks about that. Why does truth matter so much, he says? Because the church simply can't be the church without being on the side of truth. Jesus is the one who came. He was a champion of truth. And for those that are on the side of truth. He said if you can't buy into the idea of truth, you can't present the gospel. What you end up with is therapy. He says therapy has patience, not disciples. And he says he said it's good intentions. People are trying to, to be kind. They don't want to be offensive. They don't want to be judgmental. They want to feel more personally connected to God. But he said, here's the catch. When we want to be sensitive to other cultures, we've got to be careful. Otherwise, we can be co-opted by them. He said, take the early Christians. They treated plague victims. They wanted to care for them. They didn't embrace the pagan culture. They weren't trying to make Christianity more relevant to win over the empire. They are carrying out the truth of their faith. The idea that everybody's made in the image of God, and so they had dignity, and that's why they took care of the poor and the young and the helpless. He ends the chapter with a real challenge. He said, the task of our generation, and I say ours, even though Chuck is gone, he said, we have to understand Christianity as a complete view of the world and humankind's place in it. In other words, we have to view it as truth. He says, if Christianity is not the truth, it's nothing, and our faith is just sentimentality. So what a challenge. Isn't that a good challenge for all of us to think about? Okay, remember, I'm going to be doing uh, two podcasts a week here, so I hope you can join me soon. Thanks for listening.